Welcome, Valley family. This is week number three in our series that we're calling Relationship Goals, and uh, I've recruited a little bit of help. Uh, my wife, Susie's going to be joining me for a few of the next, uh, uh, next few weeks, uh, some of the next few weeks, uh, because we're going to be touching on marriage along with, you know, all other kinds of relationships as well, and uh, I don't pretend to know what's in a woman's mind at all when it comes to marriage, and so I thought I'd just bring in a ringer and so welcome, Susie. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. We want to just say a special hello to all those watching online and a shout out to our Poughkeepsie campus for our beach party Sunday. Yeah, we normally don't dress like normally this, especially clash, yeah together there. But uh, put a little sunblock on your nose and enjoy the day. Beach party Sunday here at Valley Christian Church. I want to go ahead and invite you to open up your app. We're going to be looking at a lot of different uh, scriptures today. And even more than that, some real biblical principles that are going to help you in your relationships. As I said, especially in marriage, but it's even much, much broader than that. We're going to talk about just living life the way that God wants us to, even as individuals. Individuals. And so whether you're single or married, something for everyone, not only today, but over the next few weeks as we continue this series. So you'll see first in your app, I want to start really at the beginning, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24, where, where God really talks about the design, his design, his purpose for marriage. He's the one that created it. He knows how it works best. So let's look at it. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man, for the man to be alone. After all that was created, everything Day after day of the six-day creation, God said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But then when he created man, he said, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. You and I were built for relationship. And as we're going to find here in this uh, uh, passage that's so critical, the beginning of all things in Genesis, uh, this is talking about marriage relationships specifically. But we were created for relationship, whether marriage, friendship, you know, God is a relational God, and uh, you and I thrive in relationship. It says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. And then goes on and says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. It goes on. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought, it, uh, and brought her to the man. At last, the man explained, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman. I think that's because he saw, you know, Eve for the first time. He said, whoa, man. And so he said, you're going to be called woman uh, because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man will leave his father and mother's basement and be joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, really, really important that we understand all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, it doesn't say the two halves will form a whole. It says the two whole will become one whole. Really, really important. You know, old Jerry Maguire, you complete me. That's hogwash. Every single person as an individual is a whole person, is a whole person. All the way back to Genesis, God makes that clear. The two will be united, the two are united into one. So that's kind of the, the real important framework for everything else 
when it comes to marriage, and when it comes to really all relationships. Uh, so I, I thought, you know, with Susie joining me, uh, how about you share a little bit of our story, maybe for those that don't know, and uh, I'll just edit out, you know, what That's we right. don't want you to say. Go ahead. <laughs> well, a little bit of our story, because some of you might not know us as well. Maybe you're somewhat new to the Valley family or haven't heard all the things, illustrations Greg might have shared over the years, months and years, whatever. Um, but Greg's family moved up here when he was five. His father worked for Georgia Pacific. They ended up starting a neighborhood Bible study, and it grew out to be this church that you see today. So when Greg was in college, after graduating from John Jay, went down to Pensacola, Liberty Christian College, and I was an Army brat where my father had retired in Melbourne. I graduated from Satellite High School there at the Space Coast, and I decided to go up to Pensacola, to, to the college there, to, to study to be a missionary. I was headed to Germany as a missionary, and that's where we met. I was there a year before Greg. And I'll never forget the first time, not that we met, but that we actually connected, had a little heart connection. And it was probably his first semester there. Um, and I remember we were in the I snack shop. I think it was shop. the first week. First week. Okay. Yeah. So we're in the snack shop full of students and everybody's trickling out. Someone had a class. For some reason, we didn't have a class that afternoon. And it ended up with just him and I sitting there. And so we just started talking and really had like this heart connection. I'm thinking, dang, this is a really nice guy. You know, I don't know what he was thinking, but you know, so we went I, back. I didn't know you were thinking <laughs> that about me time. So we go back to our dorms, whatever. The next day I see him, and he wasn't at all the guy that I was talking to at the snack shop the day before. He had this, like, air about him, like, this cocky, whatever. I'm like, Okay, what? this is like what we had. This is like, out. what the yeah, heck? The what happened to that guy that, that I just said yeah, speaking to? So it was kind of like cocky football player meets Miss High and Mighty. That was kind of like our relationship for it that was, first year. You were what? Miss High and Mighty. Oh, okay. I know. I leave was that in. I want to leave that in. That'd be good. So, yeah. so that was kind of our relationship that first year. And so we mixed like water and oil. It was just like, and in that school, you kind of like brother David, like if that was our instructor. So it was brother this, brother that. And so I remember like hands up, brother Greg, you, you know, it was just like, we just clashed quite a bit. Wouldn't you say? Yes, I would say, okay. dear. Okay. So meanwhile, we're, we both get into relationships. So he's dating somebody else. I'm dating somebody else because, you know, that cocky person I wasn't relating to. So we're in for about a year or so, I think. And then we re those relationships in and of itself end up breaking up because who we were dating wanted a different thing in life. And that's not who we wanted. We, I wanted to go different introduction. He didn't. Same with the one that Greg was dating. And so we ended up just kind of still being friends until we took a tennis class together. Now, let me just say, the tennis class was me and my friends that all signed up. There's like 14 of us. And one guy signs up to be in this class, and it's Greg Williamson on the roster. I, I wanted to sharpen my skills. Yeah, right, right. So, <laughs> I ain't no dummy. Mama didn't raise no fool. So anyway, um, so I'm very competitive in nature, and he's like helping one of my nemesis. You know, we compete at everything, and she's beating me in tennis because Williamson is giving her extra class, you know, extra coaching. And so I'm like, outside hey, of class. Outside of class. So I'm like, Williamson, come on, you can't help Deborah. You have to help me. So we start doing tennis class tennis lessons outside of class. And so it was during these times as you're helping me, and I did start beating her, um, that but we kind of had a little, no, no, you never beat that. me. So anyway, so from those kind of hanging out times, some sparks kind of started. I started to see a glimpse of that same guy that I saw in the snack shop over a year ago that would kind of surface um, as we were sitting there playing tennis and things like that. Um, and I'll never forget, we, well, we did wait like three years. We waited, well, we started dating. My sophomore year. We started dating, and I think, it, from our first date on, we both kind of knew 
we're stumbling in our destiny, like, oh my gosh, I think this guy is really the one, and I think you felt the same way. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, at the same time, we talked to our parents as we started dating, and they said, listen, because all of our friends were getting married, young, whatever, and they said, listen, you can pay for your college and get married, or you can stay in college and we'll pay. Well, we were no fools. We stayed in college, had fun dating, every, parents paid for everything, it was wonderful. Um, and then for us, it was just kind of working on that dating relationship. I think for us, we always wanted just to kind of be an example to others of what a life that was Christ-centered looked like. And so in college, that would look like, you know, I was taking a human sexuality class, I was kind of in a counseling track, and my professor said, would you and Greg come in and share about setting boundaries in your dating relationship? Guest speaker in the human sexuality <laughs> so class. So I drug him along. <laughs> I drug him it's no along. no joke. Can't make this stuff up. And I, I think for us, because we had set as a goal that we both wanted, and I know this is radical, it was even back then, but that we both wanted to be virgins on our wedding day. Well, to have that goal and to get to that goal, you had to have a strategy. You had to have boundaries to be able to achieve that. And so those are the kind of things we kind of shared in that human sexuality class. So, so you know, maybe we'll go into that a little bit more in parenting and stuff like that, but we always talked about bathing suit boundaries. If you have to cover it, someone else ought not be touching it. Well, there you have it in Real simple, okay. real simple. That didn't cost you anything. That's not in your app notes. But if you got to cover it in public, no one ought to be touching it in private. That's, that's the boundaries. Okay. Yep. I move on. Anyway, so <laughs> we get engaged. And even getting engaged, we had this couple, that our pastor, that we wanted to do the premarital counseling because we wanted to have a marriage like theirs. And so we went through all those, just kind of being prepared. And, and then even on our wedding day, it was like everything we had dreamed it would be. We waited four years so we had children because we just both knew, you know what, we're inviting kids in and they're going to be with us for a while. So we really want to work on ourselves, establish our marriage. It would be strong to be able to be the parents that God called us Before to be. Before inviting a child yeah. into it. Yeah. And so for us, it's just been facing the life challenges together in ministry because we got married. Greg was ordained in May. We got married in August. So mm -hmm. we've really been doing this together for 29 years. Um, and that's kind of our story in a nutshell. That was, that was a whirlwind. Uh, that was a whirlwind, yeah. yeah. So we'll kind of add to it a little bit more. Sure. Week, yeah, each time that we're, we're doing this together. But over the next few weeks, Susie's going to really be uh, helping me out and sharing some specific uh, relationship goals. And, you know, if you've been on Instagram, you see, you know, sometimes even we'll post, I'll post a picture of something about you and me. And inevitably somebody's like, you know, hashtag relationship goals, hashtag marriage goals. And it's like, uh, I, I get that, but, you, you know, uh, at the same time, I think it's just important to realize that's not a, a, a true picture of marriage or, or romance or love or anything. In fact, like, look, at, there's like 11 million pictures that have been posted on Instagram with hashtag relationship goals. Let's look at one of them. Let's see how realistic this is. Go ahead and put that up. How about this picture? This picture of this couple in the middle of winter, they decided, hey, here's a good idea. Let's stop the car. Let's get out in the middle of the road and let's make out right in the middle of the road so while we're kneeling. This is just moments before they were actually hit by this ongoing traffic here. I mean, isn't that romantic? Isn't this what love is hashtag relationship goals I want to be honest uh, I've never once uh, in the middle of winter turned to Susie and say let's get out of the car get in the middle of the road kneel down and make out that would be a great idea never just happened. not my thing not our thing uh, at all there but so many people see images like this and you know what they're saying hashtag goals they're saying I want that I want that 
or, or they're seeing someone else's picture. I want that. I want my, my marriage, uh, you know, the relationship, my dating relationship. I want that. I want it to be like that. But understand this is contrived. This is carefully planned. They probably took five or six different shots, and then they used filters on it, you know, and, and all those things. It's just a moment of time, and it's not real. It's not real at all. And if you ask someone, what is that that you want, Chances are, they couldn't even tell you what that really is. How do you get that? And what is that? And and I'm thankful that some people crave a better relationship, improvement in their marriage. I think that's probably why you're here today uh, and maybe invited a friend with you uh, to our Poughkeepsie campus or, hey, check this out. Uh, online. I think that's very, uh, I think that's really great. We need that more and more because, you know, our relationships don't get better unless we really focus on how do we improve them in a way that really honors God. And and so it's great to have that kind of craving like that. And if you ever looked at our marriage or maybe an image of Greg and I on social media and you say, you know what, I want that. You know, what we have and what you see really is a God-ordained marriage. Greg's my best friend. We love being together. We love doing everything together, whether it's traveling, doing ministry, whether it's raising our girls, whether it's going out to eat, whether it's walking the neighborhood, whatever. We even love working together, which some people are like, how does that work? You know, but we just love being together. Yeah, as a matter of fact, just just uh, yesterday, like Susie had a, an evening, a late night uh, evening appointment, and uh, I was just home by myself with the dogs, and, and I was just texting her, you know, like, I really miss you. What are you doing? Oh. Yeah, when are you coming home and all? So uh, she is my best friend. I'd rather be with her than the guys. I don't care about that really nearly as much. I, I'd rather be with, with her than even one of our three girls. They're next, you know, but, but uh, they know that. Uh, in fact, my dad used to always have this way of putting it, and I think it kind of formatted my hard drive. He would tell... My, he would tell me and my siblings, he'd say, you know, your mother is the only one I chose. The rest of you, I had to take whatever God gave me. And that just kind of, as crazy as that sounds in the life of a child, that actually gives a child stability knowing that. Dad chose mom, and dad's still in love with mom, you know. And, and so we've tried to pattern that. We've had real good examples uh, to pattern after your family, your mom and dad, my mom and dad, uh, as well. No question about that. But we have uh, really absolute trust in one another. Uh, We have meaningful and intimate conversations, uh, playful interactions. We like to joke. We like to kind of give each other the business and, and that sort of thing, bust each other's chops. We also have sincere affection and, and uh, you know, just a real uh, deep spiritual connection. Uh, I, I think I can say this. I know I can. She's the best part of me. She really is. And uh, you, just don't, you just don't know Greg Williamson unless you know Susie Williamson uh, a, as well. And so, uh, you know, before was, you roll your eyes. Before you roll your eyes and gag at the Hallmark movie uh, affair, love affair here, we just realize, you know, for us, marriage is not a destination, it's not a destination, but it's an ongoing journey. Mm-hmm. And we haven't arrived, you know. And let me be clear about, you say, I want that. 
Well, let me show you what really what that is, what we have, because that's what you see on social media. But really, that is, I'm not always an easy person to live with. I am no walk in the park. Um, without Jesus helping me, I can tend to be very stubborn. Uh, my way is always the way and most efficient way of doing things, and that's kind of hard to live with somebody like that all the time. I am driven. I have a hard time resting. Um, and coming with that, I can exude disapproval for anyone I feel is not towing the line and carrying their fair share. Um, I also, being the overcoming perfectionist, at times I find it difficult to take, my, take responsibility for my part of the disagreement or whatever happens to come up. And, and I do continually receive God's grace to tear up my scorecard that I keep in my mind. So I'm not always easy to live with. So when you say that, know that that's part of the that for me. I'm so glad we have this recorded. And uh, I'm going to be able to pull this out at any moment. Because here's the thing. I'm not an easy person to live with either. Uh, I'm really demanding. Uh, I'm very opinionated. I have strong opinions about everything. Yeah, I don't, I don't have, like, uh, weak opinions about anything. I, I have everything's strong opinion. Kind of got that my mom's side of the family is, is very much like that. Uh, I, I do really stupid and thoughtless things sometimes. Like, I'm a guy. I mean, you know? And, uh, and, and when I'm stressed, I get really, really irritable. And it's really better just to leave me alone by myself uh, because, that, you know, don't like that, Greg. My, my kids tell me all the time, they're like, you know, our favorite dad is vacation dad because I don't have any stress. And they're like, oh, we love vacation dad. And uh, the first time they told me that, I was like, you know, I need to step my game up because uh, I don't want there to be that big of a difference uh, between uh, average day dad and uh, vacation dad. So uh, that's what that is. If you want that, that's what that is for sure. And our, our marriage has been filled with massive miscommunications, mm -hmm. with painful misunderstandings, with hurt feelings, intense conversations we've had. That's preacher language for uh, fights. That's yeah, right. intense conversations, fights, arguments. We have had fights about our schedules, how we disciplined our girls, about my driving that might be a little fast, about Greg's leisurely driving. Leisurely driving? Leisurely. Wait, wait, well, leisurely? If there's two lanes and there's eight cars in one and two cars in another, you'll get in the lane that has eight cars. Like, that's going to be the last one out the end of the second. Anyway, I have not we have had a ticket in this century this whole century <laughs> i have not had a ticket in this this 21st century okay anyway, who we hang out with we can argue over yeah. my scorecard his need for downtime you know these are all things that we can you know so if you say you want that what we have just know what that is that takes a lot of hard work to get that because it's having to overcome self that means you have to be a very good forgiver Absolutely. And I think if anything, if people look at that, we've learned to forgive and not hold grudges. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to have a healthy marriage, you've got to learn how to be a forgiver. And it doesn't come easy. And I, I think of all human relationships, a marriage relationship is more challenging than any other. You know, we're parents, we're, we're uh, children, you know, of our parents, we're friends, uh, all that. But there's no doubt that the marriage relationship is the most difficult uh, relationship to really get right and to have a healthy one. 
Uh, and that's why we're, we're doing this right in the middle of July, uh, talking about some of these things, because we just want to pass along, you know, what we've learned through God's Word that has really helped us, because it's not, our marriage isn't perfect, far from it, but it's healthy, and it's really good. It's really that's really like, in most things in life, you have to work hard Absolutely. for the things that really matter. So. Yeah, nothing that is really worthwhile comes easy in life, and so you've got to put in the work. Uh, and, and I think uh, it's great that people want something different and crave something better, you know, hashtag relationship goals, although that's not what I'm craving at all uh, like that because these folks ended up in the hospital after that. But um, uh, over the next four weeks, really, we're going to talk about some of these things because normal today, here's what normal is for a lot of marriages and relationships, fear, hurt, uh, hurt feelings, anger, bitterness, selfishness, lack of trust, fights about money and finances. Thank God we have never really fought about that in, in 29 years of marriage. About We've never had fights about our finances, and that's very intentional, and we have a way that we deal with all that uh, together. Lack of unity on how to raise the kids. Uh, you know, a lot of marriages are just two people doing their own life, living under the same roof. And, and God has so much better, so much more. There's so much more that God has than two individuals just living separate lives under the same roof. And so over the next uh, four weeks, really, we're going to talk about goals, four goals. And these aren't only for marriage, uh, but they, they are actually in our own personal, individual lives as well. And I want to share those with you, uh, what we're going to get into a little bit more in just a minute. But first off is Christ-centered, to have that goal of a Christ-centered life. Me, personally, Susie, personally, we're married, a Christ-centered marriage. Uh, really important. What does that mean? Well, I think just because we're both, we call ourselves Christians, doesn't mean that we are Christ-centered in the way that we live. That's right. That's really big. I mean, just because two Christians get married, that does not equal a Christian marriage uh, any more than you put two apples next to each other, and that's an apple pie. There's a whole lot more ingredients that have to go in to have a Christian marriage, and it has to be Christ-centered. And it's not just two people that love Jesus but hate each other in a marriage. That's not a Christ-centered marriage. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And there's actually a great book uh, that Susie and I have read. Just want to recommend, if you really want to go deep on this subject, it's called The God First Life uh, by a pastor down in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, his name is Stovall Weems, kind of a interesting one there. Uh, Stovall Weems, pastor of Celebration Church, The God First Life. It's a real easy read uh, that really just talks about putting God first, putting him at the center of your life, and we highly recommend that. Then next week, we're going to talk about being, our goal is to be covenant-keeping. What does that mean? A little glimpse. So when we enter into marriage, it's not a contract, that it's a covenant. It's a holy covenant, and we're going to learn what that means and how we live that life that honors God. And then the following week, we're going to, week, we're going to talk about, uh, two weeks from now, being mission-driven. Mission-driven. That's why uh, the girl I was dating before Susie, that's why we broke off that relationship. 
we weren't on the same mission in life. That's actually what happened with Susie and the guy she was dating before me. It's just so important to be mission-driven. What's a little bit more about that, huh? I think so many times we're driven in the wrong places. You know, we were driven to go separate ways, given, you know, in of ourselves. And we're going to learn what it means to be led by the Spirit of God, that God would guide us um, so that we're concerned about what it is that God is concerned about and the mission that he has for our lives and for land. And then three weeks from today, we're going to, uh, it's actually our anniversary, I think, on the day, the Sunday, and we're going to talk about being devil-kicking. What does Ooh. it mean to be devil-kicking in well, We're marriage? in a spiritual battle, and we have an enemy. And the truth is, your spouse is not your enemy, but the devil is the enemy, and the devil hates marriage because God ordained marriage. And so that's a little preview of where we're headed uh, together. Next week, I'm actually doing that message on my own because Susie's going to be out of town and I'm going to be really missing her yeah. bad. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but, but then two weeks, she'll be back with me. So let's jump into this first goal, if you will. Goal number one, and that is Christ-centered, to have a Christ-centered life. You can't have a Christ-centered marriage until you have personally a Christ-centered life. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, but dedicate your lives to Christ as Lord. What that means is Jesus is the boss. He's the owner. He's the chief. So the Bible tells us, dedicate your life to Jesus Christ is calling the shots. He's at the middle. He's at the center of your life. And so let me ask you the question, really, uh, is Jesus Christ at the center of your life? Does everything else flow from that center in your life? Because I think we need to, to really acknowledge that uh, your life, your marriage, it's centered around something or someone, every one of us, every single one of us, whether we realize it or not. If you're married, your, your marriage, uh, I hope, centers around Jesus Christ at the center but maybe he's not at the center. Maybe it's your kids that are at the center. And so what you've done is you've substituted a temporary relationship. Parent-child relationship is temporary, you know, because they are supposed to grow up and move. But the husband-wife relationship is till death do us part. And so it's supposed to be the priority. But a lot of people don't put Jesus at the center of their marriage. They put their kids at the center of their marriage. Or maybe it's yourself. I want what I want when I want it. And, and so you're trying to have a marriage. I want what they have, but you know what? I want what they have, but I want all the stuff I want also, and I'm not really, you know, putting Jesus first that helps me to love my spouse the way that I need to. Uh, maybe it's money and material possessions that, that really is the driving force, the center of your life. Or maybe it's your career, you know, getting the next step up the corporate ladder. Uh, maybe it's a certain lifestyle that that's what I want to achieve above everything else, that that's at the center of your life. Or maybe there's this image that you have that, that you have to manage continually and it's like impressing people all the time. That's really what's at the center of your life. The problem is, when it comes to relationship goals, that oftentimes when we see a picture or a post, we say, I want that, it reinforces what we call kind of the I've heard called the, uh, the one myth. Like, I'm looking for the one. I have found the one. That's pretty good. It's good. It's like a little backup group right there. And, uh, and uh, like, you know, again, like Jerry Maguire, that, you know, Tom Cruise, you complete me. That's 
that's garbage. I mean, it really is. Uh, and uh, it's interesting they haven't made a sequel of that movie. Just a thought. Okay, so anyway, um, uh, you know, so many times you hear people say, I think I met the one, you know, uh, and, and I hear, uh, you know, sometimes girls say things like this, like it's kind of crazy. I think I met the one. I mean, he goes to church on Christmas and Easter, and uh, he has a job this time. And uh, the last two boyfriends, you know, they were just video gamers all the time. And, and like, is that really where the bar is? Just like two legs, male name, and goes to church Christmas, Easter? Or, or maybe there's, there's something Super else. Higher, that's kind of missing higher. there. Yeah, listen, you know, if you're a single person, you don't need another person to complete you. Single is a whole number. That's it's right. a whole number. And you, know, and you think about it, Jesus had a pretty good run of being single and living a fulfilled life. Wait, he, wait, wait. He wait. didn't have a wife. Wait, Jesus wasn't complete because he didn't have a wife. <laughs> no, Jesus yeah. had a pretty good run As a and he was single yeah. his entire life lived his life on purpose, accomplished God's purpose for his life, and he was single. And impacted the world Absolutely. as an unmarried man. And in our man. society, you feel like you're less than if you're not in a relationship with that. So, that's so wrong. So if Jesus is at the center, yeah. and he was single, then a single person can be content even Absolutely. while they're single. Absolutely. You don't that's need huge. another person to complete you, that Jesus completes you as a person. Mm-hmm. And so uh, here's the, the big idea, really. Uh, in a Christ-centered marriage, Jesus is your number one and your spouse is your number two. In a Christ-centered marriage, Jesus is your number one and your spouse is your number two. And let me say this. When the kids come, if God blesses you, your kids are number three. Now, now this is important, especially for blended families. Blended families, understand when, when if, if you have children from a previous relationship or previous marriage and you want to get married, what you're saying in that wedding is, kids, you are no longer number one. Number two, rather. You're going to be number three. My spouse now is more important to me than you'll ever be. That's the biblical picture. That's health. That's how to have a healthy marriage. Jesus is your number one. Your spouse is your number two, and any fruit that God blesses you with called kids, whether they're from previous relationship or afterward, they're number three, not number two, and certainly not number one. They should never take Jesus' place or your spouse's place. That's what, I just wanted to add that in. That messes up so many marriages when it's not even Jesus' number one. The kids are number one. And then the spouse is maybe number two. Totally gets it totally topside down. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one. So that's the primary relationship. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 22, I, I mean, it makes it really clear. Uh, some, some folks came to Jesus one time and they said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the law? So in the, all the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, all that, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Kind of sounds like God at the center, doesn't it? Love Him first. Love Him the most. Orient all of your life with Him at the center. So incredibly important, really. I think it's really just Jesus is the one that we should be pursuing above everything else. And when we do that, everything else in life is amazing, falls into place. It's like, 
Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. All these things will be added to you, but you have to have that at the center first. Um, and I think back in high school and college, I was kind of known as Choosy Susie was my <laughs> nickname. Um, and part of that was because I just wouldn't go out with a guy. I, I had criteria. He had to love Jesus passionately. I had to see that in the, in the fruit of his life. He went to church. He oriented his life. He was God at the center kind of a person. So there were a lot of dates I turned down because that just wasn't that person's, you know, M.O. Um, and so because of that, there were nights, especially in college, you know, we got married right out of college, but there were Friday nights when I was by myself. Was I lonely? Absolutely not. I was alone, but I wasn't lonely. I'd spend that time just reading books on bettering myself so I could be the type of person somebody would want to marry. I remember just spending time with God, reading the Bible. I remember going on beach walks, just me and God, spending time walking on the beach because we were in Pensacola. And I just remember thinking, you know what, just walking on the beach and God just like, even just putting dreams in my heart, purpose, speaking purpose into my heart. It wasn't wasted time. I was complete in that. And then when we started dating, I'll never forget, we had... After the tennis thing, and we decided, you know, oh my gosh, I think God's doing something here. And we had the DTR, the define the relationship. Remember that? Yeah, Tom, I do. Yeah. Yeah. We're sitting out of the swing. There was a swing on, on all the pine trees, whatever. We're it was about our, to first date. Date, our first date. The night before my 20th birthday. That's right. Yeah. And we were sitting there, and there was a, long, a lot of stories there. But the one, I remember thinking, okay, I'm about to, like, get in a relationship with this guy who I feel like could be, the, could be my number two. And I remember thinking, you know what, God, I don't want the sweetness that we have to change because I'm adding somebody into this equation. And so I remember thinking, you know, I, I, I just want to just pray before we get started. And so I remember saying that to you. I know it probably was, like, out of left field. First date, can we pray together? <laughs> And I was like, sure, sure, we can do that. And so I like prayed. I was like, God, we just pray, bless this time that we had, bless the food that we ate a while ago, and uh, and uh, just let this be a good night. And and then Susie said, well, I'd like to pray. And she said, Lord, I just thank you for the relationship that you and I have had for all these years, and that you're first in my life. And I just invite Greg to be a part of my life now, not to replace you, but to really come behind you in my life. <laughs> and I, I, I remember like, oh dang, you know, it was just, it Don't was. Don't think of me as Miss Holier Than Thou. But let me tell you, I was raised in a Christ-centered family. We talked like this. Mm. I was sent to Christian camps in the summer, not sent, I volunteered, but went to Christian camps in the summer, junior and high school, youth group, every week. We were taught what Wait, to Wait, you mean for. like all the stuff we do all week long yes, here for, yes. for the kids So and we the talked about what to look for. What, what does it look like to set boundaries in a relationship? I, I was raised that way. So for me, I was just walking out what I was taught. I know it sounds very, ooh, you know, but this was, well, this was what imparted to me as a young person. And I, I think it's important what you said. You were raised in a Christ-centered home. See, the church can never replace the home. Mm -hmm. If it's not happening in the home, I, I mean, you, you could bring your kids to church every single night. They're going to turn out rebellious little, you know, depraved people. Uh, they really are, you know, because it's not the church's responsibility. We just come alongside and supplement, but it's the Christ-centered home. You're going to walk out what you were taught and what you saw operate that's right. really what They're going to follow the example of mom and dad more than, more than any other yeah. example uh, that, that is really set for them. So, uh, Really, why is this so important? You know, something is at the, the center of your life right now. Just, just think about that. What, what is at the center of your life? That's a big question. 
needs to be answered. What's at the center of your life? We all have something at the center, and the reason why this is important is whatever's at the center of our life is actually driven by our values and beliefs. It's what we hold as this is the most important. And our values and our beliefs come out of what is or who is at the center of our lives. Uh, And that influences our actions and decisions. That influences our scheduling of our time. That that influences, you know, just uh, all kinds of decisions that we make day in and day out. What or who is really at the center? And, And not only does it influence the actions and decisions, but ultimately those decisions and actions influence the impact that we make on this world or the very little impact that we make on this world. It's all about who's at the center. See, if your kids are at the center, you'll sacrifice date night once a week for the kids' schedule to get them to another event, another experience, another sporting thing. But, but if, if Jesus is at the center, and, and we're going to look at in the next few weeks, as a husband, I'm loving my wife as Christ loved the church. There's no mention of children there. Then, then I'm going to make this a priority every single week. I'm going to make this a priority every single day. Much, much more. And the kids will be better because of that. You know, so really, really important that we understand uh, r- really kind of these spheres, I guess you'd put it that way. What's at the center or who's at the center? The, the difference that you make in this world and the fulfillment that you feel uh, honoring God is all a result of what's really or who's really at the center of your life. So what is your marriage centered around? Where, where do you go for a pattern, for a role model? You know, I kind of think, you, you know, if, uh, if you want to uh, learn how to hit a golf ball, I think you go to someone who knows how to hit a golf ball, not someone who has never hit a golf ball before. If you want to have a healthy, uh, Christ-centered marriage, maybe you should go to someone who has a healthy, Christ-centered marriage uh, and not just newlyweds or can tell you all kinds of philosophical principles, but actually is like doing it and have like raised kids that are normal uh, and, and not kooky, you know, and are serving God as well. I think it's the power of our community groups, you know. Our Absolutely, our small sure. groups. That's what it's, it's really all about. So everything we do here in Valley Christian Church through the Valley family is very purposeful as a result of that. So when you're, when you're Christ-centered, then Jesus, the Son of God, influences your beliefs. He influences your actions and your decisions, which ultimately lead to a greater lifelong impact on the world and, and ultimately a lot more fulfillment. And, and that's one of the things I think is hardest about being a pastor is that you see so many times people settling for so much less when God has so much more, so much better if we just put Jesus at the center. So if it's not, if your, your marriage is not centered around Christ, if your life is not centered around Christ, uh, then you really have the wrong goal and you're not going to have the relationships that, that really you want to experience. I want that. It starts, put Jesus at the center. I think those of you who are not married and you want that someday in the future, then you need to recognize that if you want a Christ-centered marriage in the future, you have to live a Christ-centered life today. If you want to honor God by putting him first someday when you serve together as a couple and go to church every day with the family, if you want to have that in the future, you need to start living that way today, putting God first in your life today. You can't say, you know, I'm going to wait till I find that person, but in the meantime, I'm going to party 
do everything I want to do, live for me, and then I'll decide to put God in the center. It doesn't work that way. No. Now, you can't build a godly life tomorrow on a foundation of sin laid today. Because each time you do wait something... A minute, wait a minute, Sister right. Susie. Can you just say that one more time? I think that's just okay. powerful. You can't build a godly life tomorrow on a foundation of sin today. And each time we do our own thing apart from God's will in our lives is sin. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I've... Uh, had the opportunity to officiate a lot of weddings, 40, maybe even 50 over the years. And uh, I have never once, when, when I meet with a couple right before uh, the wedding day, you know, week of there, I have never once uh, sitting there, that bride-to-be, seen her say, man, I just wish I slept with more men before I got married. Never heard that. I have heard many times brides break down crying. I wish... I had saved myself for this special day that's coming. I, I've heard that more times than you can even imagine. And, uh, you, you know, uh, you can't build a godly life tomorrow on a foundation that's laid today. Uh, we, we know many couples that have problems in their marriage after the wedding in intimacy because they were intimate before the wedding. And it brings all kinds of problems and complications into their marriage as a result of it. And they call pastors and counselors because Hollywood's not going to tell you how to fix that. Hollywood's not going to tell you how God can heal that, but it, it's difficult. You, you know, and, and, and let me just say something to the guys, and it's more of a guy problem than a girl problem, but it's it's growing girl problem. Uh, porn is not going to help your marriage. It's going to hurt it. And again, so many times that we have seen heartbroken women because their husbands are addicted to porn and, and, and what that brings into the home, what that brings into the bedroom. It's not just you and you're not hurting anybody. You're really hurting yourself. Guys, and you're, you're, you're hurting your wife or your wife-to-be in the future. And so you cannot build a godly life tomorrow on a foundation of sin today. It just doesn't work that way. In fact, the Bible puts it this way in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. For the sake of what we're talking about today, unless Jesus is at the center of your marriage, at the center of just your life as a single, you're wasting your time. It's not going to last. It's like a house that Jesus talked about is built on sand. And the storm comes whoosh, and washes it away unless the house is built on the rock. And the rock is Jesus Christ. Unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is really wasted. So I could tell you a bunch of practical things. I, I, I could tell you uh, in, in marriage, maybe some of this we'll kind of get to over the next few weeks. I, I could talk to you about how important it is, the Bible says in Ephesians, to submit to one another in love, uh, husband to wife. Uh, we could talk about importance of forgiving and honoring and respecting one another and, and attending church together. Do you know that the divorce rate for couples that attend church together like drops into like 20%, something like that? 
uh, if they regularly attend church together. We could talk about that. We could talk about serving together or reading the Bible together, all this stuff. But, but here's a better strategy, because I could give you like 12 things to do, and I know you're not going to do any of them. <laughs> you won't. You know, I mean, just, I, I'm just being real. So what I want to do is just give you one thing that you can do, just one thing that you can start doing today, literally, and just this one thing, and it's not going to take all that much time, but it will begin out of this one step. It's really a baby step. This one step, and it will begin to improve your marriage and open the door for all kinds of other great improvements across the board uh, in your marriage relationship. And here it is. You ready? Pray together every day. Every day. That's it. Pray together every day. And I know kind of the pushback here. It's like, man, that's, you know, the guy's like, man, that's kind of intimate. I don't know about that. I mean, let's be real. We're married, right? I mean, most of us use the bathroom in front of each other. That's married life, right? It just kind of happens like that. Oh, and by the way, you do have sex together. That's really, really intimate. Why can't you pray together? Why can't you pray together? And by the way, that's why we have great children's ministry, because your kids should be in it right now, because I just blew your head off, Mom and Dad, because your kids aren't where they're supposed to be. So anyway, pray together every single day. And, and, and it's amazing. If you can just keep praying together, uh, it keeps... It, Satan wants to isolate a husband and wife from each other. He doesn't want this. No way does he want this to happen. And, and in reality, when, even when we got married, we didn't pray together every day. But it's something that we've developed. And, and you know what? It really makes a huge impact. And here's the reason why. When you pray together, you bond together. When you pray together, you bond together. And, and so let me just give you a quick outline, three points on how to pray with your spouse. You ready for this? Real practical. In your valley app, follow along, okay? We're going to go fast here. How to pray with your spouse. What's the first thing, Susie? Keep it short. Keep it short. Now, now uh, we're talking about literally, I'm going to give you an example in just a second here, and uh, it's going to take you 15 seconds a day to pray together. 15 seconds. 15 seconds. Actually, we timed it 15.7 seconds. That's all it's going to take. But just begin to write. keep it short. What's the next one? Keep it consistent. Keep it consistent. And what's the third one? If you miss a day, don't miss two. If you miss a day, don't miss two. Don't get in a rut. So keep it short. Keep it consistent. If you miss a day, don't miss two. Those are the coaching points. Now, here's the prayer. We even wrote one for you. And so it's right there, 15.7 seconds. Are you ready? Let's look at it. Let's put it up. Dear God, just, just take your wife by the hand. Men, and I want to encourage you to do it, okay? Dear God, give us wisdom and clear direction in all we do today. Help us to show your love to each other and to shine your light in the world. Keep us close to you, away from temptation, and always in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. 15 seconds. That'll begin to change your life. That'll begin to change your marriage. And you start off simple. Maybe down, down the road you add your children. We, we share what our kids are going through. We pray for each one of them it's after we pray this prayer. You know, maybe after that you start sharing what you learn in your devotional. It just kind of builds on something very basic. It's a starting uh, at 15 or, or, seconds. Yeah, and, and maybe you get away from that, but kind of the, this is the start of the prayer together. But I encourage you, and I, especially the husbands, pull out the app and, and just do it. Dear God, 
give us with I mean do it just do it maybe it's going to take you maybe a minute and a half to read that I don't know but just get through it uh, and then give your wife opportunity if there's anything she wants to add and I think she probably will I just have a feeling and and uh and because there, there's a bond that happens uh really uh that we've learned over the years uh, through really praying together and then if you're not married, it's, you can adjust this prayer very simply for your own relationship with God. And say, Give me wisdom and clear direction in all I do. So you can just make it to yourself if you're single. Really, really powerful. It's a putting Christ at the center kind of prayer. It's really powerful. Mm -hmm. um, what's that? Okay, all right. So uh, we're just... Uh, we're looking at our notes and just seeing, so uh, where do we want to go? All right, well, living Christ-centered really <laughs> means that Christ is your number one, whether you're married or not, that you're not on your own, that he is praying for you as you pray this prayer. He's praying for you. He's directing you. He's working with you. When you're weak, he's strong. When you stray, he pulls you back. It's just recognizing that even if it's, you're married, and marriage is between two broken people, that with the power of Christ, two is better than one, and that God is at the center helping you make those decisions. Absolutely, and so, uh, you know, I, I just uh, I just wonder right now, Susie, would you just close in prayer and, and really just pray for uh, the couples that are married, uh, and, um, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll pray after that, okay? We're talking about prayer. Let's just do it. Okay. Father God, we just thank you for our church family. Father, we just thank you for the married couples that are in our congregation. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen them. Father, as we all, married and unmarried, Lord, lean into you, Father. Lord, that we would just orient our life around you, being at the center, that we would love you with our heart, our mind, and all of our strength. Forgive us when we put other things or other people ahead of you in our lives. And Father, we just ask, Lord, that you just increase our hunger and thirst for you, that our relationships would be centered around you in all that we do. We ask God for just a blessing on our marriages here at Valley. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, we thank you for the grace that you give us and the forgiveness that we find in you. And so, Lord, even if there's cracks in the foundation because of decisions and choices that we've made when, when Jesus wasn't at the center, Lord, we thank you that you forgive. And Lord, give us the, the, the courage, Lord, to really put Jesus in the middle and, and, and that you can repair those cracks you, you can repeal, uh, repair those hurts, Lord, and, and roll back uh, those problems, Lord, that, that maybe we're experiencing now as a result of what we did 10, 20, uh, e even 30 years ago. Lord, we thank you that with you at the center, we can be confident that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen.